Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you said good. That's my dog barking in the background. Sometimes she gets like that. She might do it through the whole show, so I'll just give you a heads up on that. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state. Get in the chat room up here. Okay. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means no matter where you are in California, we can get to you. We also, though, if you if you need help in Oregon, Washington, Nevada, or Hawaii, we also have affiliate teams out there as well. So look us up. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us at TikTok. Just about anywhere. Lots of Facebook sites. Which reminds me, if you're watching this show today from Facebook and you like what you see, hit the like button. Hit the follow button. All right? I'm looking for followers. So that would be really nice for you. If you're watching from YouTube, same thing. And you like what you see, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. And you click on that, and the subscribe button will come up. The more subscribers, the merrier. So uh, I really appreciate it. And maybe a couple likes or two. The other thing, too, is um, we've started a Facebook community page. And what that is is that for people that are subscribed to this show, you can go in there because I'm going to be I'm going to be putting teasers for each show in there. So so you'll get to see or hear you know nor, you know the normal stuff I send out, of course, on Facebook, but this is like a, vi a mini video that I do in preparation for the upcoming show. So I'm going to be doing that. There's also a poll over there where I'm doing a poll to see what topics you like. Because that's what I wanted to cover. But I will cover stuff like this. Let's remember that because I'm a journalist. But, you know, the stuff that interests you the most. That's what I'm looking towards. You know, so if you go over to California Haunts um, uh, Radio YouTube. It's a lot to think about. <laughs> Uh, and, and then go to the community page. You'll be able to see that. Okay. Anyway, the tonight, today's tonight, today's guest, my cousin, my cousin's in the chat room. Um, today's guest, Mike Rinder, was a member of Scientology for 46 years. All right. He started out as a kid when, you know, and as he got older, went through the ranks and he's got a story to tell. Because he left Scientology when he was 52. And so he, 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 he's he got a story to tell. And you probably recognize him. Because he's been on TV several times with this stuff. He was even involved in that series on Scientology with with, with Lisa, with, uh, Lisa Romini. So let's uh, bring him in and let's hear his story. All right? Here we go. Good afternoon, sir. Hi, Charlotte. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Excellent. I don't have any hauntings to tell you about. <laughs> um, tell me about you, because you, you, you were involved with Scientology from a very young age. <clears throat> yes, I was. I was really uh, raised a Scientologist from the age of about six to uh, when I escaped, as you mentioned, when I was 52. Um, and... That's why I'm here talking to you, because I wrote a book about my life and my experiences. And uh, the hope is that um, it speaks to people who have been uh, not just in cults or in Scientology in particular or any cult, but in bad relationships or a bad job or having difficulties in their life. And... And my sort of purpose here is to make it clear that even even an old guy like me can uh, change the circumstances in their life and start afresh. And that, you know, if uh, this old dog can be taught new tricks, any old dog can be taught new tricks. So absolutely. That, that's yeah. kind of why I wrote, or, or, or one of the things I want to accomplish with the book is is mm -hmm. hopefully help people to understand that there's a way out of whatever bad circumstance they might find themselves in. Absolutely fascinating. So you grew up 
uh, the Scientologist, when did you start to notice? Because you had some fairly high um, profile positions with Scientology. So yeah. when did you start to notice that things weren't as it as it seemed? Oh well, that's a really difficult. That's a <laughs> Charlotte. The the truth is that probably the first inkling of that came when I first joined the Sea Organization, which is the sort of inner circle elite core of Scientology. Uh, that's why the book is called A Billion Years, because Sea Organization members sign a billion year contract, committing themselves to the uh, eternal service of the Scientology organization to achieve, achieve the aims of Scientology. And as a part of doing that, when I turned 18, I traveled to join L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, aboard his, what? he called a yacht, but was really an old cattle ferry um, in Lisbon, Portugal. And when I arrived there, uh, I was in for sort of a rude awakening. Uh, this was supposedly the pinnacle of Scientology, the most enlightened, ethical uh, answer to all of mankind's problems. And the founder of this organization was there. And I got there and the, the vessel itself was uh, like a, a shithole. And I learned very quickly that I was now a possession of the Sea Organization, that I didn't really have any say in what I did or where I went or how I was, how I was to be deployed. And that, I guess, was my first inkling that everything wasn't quite... Um, wasn't quite as perfect as it was made out to be, but it also, uh, Scientology, and I, I go to, to considerable links in the book to try and describe this. Scientology is a mind prison, and you learn to believe that, uh, you know, your personal well-being, your comfort, your happiness in your, your life is really insignificant in the overall bigger picture and aims of achieving the goals of Scientology, which is to save every man, woman, and child on planet Earth with the only, repeat, only, quote, technology, which is what L. Ron Hubbard called his writings, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, mm -hmm. called what he, what other religions call scriptures, Hubbard called technology, which will tell you a little bit about whether it really is a religion or not, but he called it a technology, and that only with this technology could the people of Earth be saved. So, you know, your discomforts and, and Trials and tribulations are all really unimportant in, in compared to this big, huge, grand scheme to save the planet. Interesting. And do you think, you know, when, when he originally wrote the books, because I remember, I'm not saying how old I am, but I remember seeing the commercials, or the, or the major commercials on TV, you know, to get the Scientology books. Do you think this is what he intended? Or did it get kind of twisted along the, you know, along the way? Oh no, I think Scientology, as it turned out, is exactly what he intended. I mean, Scientology is a a an accurate reflection of what Hubbard said because the dictates of Scientology or Hubbard are that you must read and understand or listen and understand my words and understand them exactly and do them precisely and literally. The, the idea that Scientology um, or Scientologists could interpret or treat Hubbard's writings as parables or advice is, is laughable to a Scientologist. Hubbard wrote about everything, every aspect of Scientology, and he expected every Scientologist to do exactly what he said. 
And so Scientology is exceedingly dogmatic. It is exceedingly fundamentalist. There is no, um, you know, liberal wing or, uh, or uh, you know, less than 100% committed part of Scientology. You're either 100% in or you're out. You're 100% with L. Ron Hubbard or you're not really a Scientologist. So Scientology and the organization itself is a very, very accurate rendition of Hubbard's worldview. Interesting. I just, I just find it so fascinating, you know, reading about Scientology. I've, I watched the TV show that you were on with, with Lisa. Leah. Leah, sorry. Leah, <laughs> shows you what I know. <laughs> it's that one of those days already. But um, I, I, I've watched the show. I, I was glued to the TV. I mean, you just can't picture this because there's so many movie stars and, and stuff involved with this. Well, there, there's some old ones, yeah. Uh, there haven't been any new ones for some time. But, you know, obviously Tom Cruise and John Travolta have been very public about their participation in Scientology. Uh, less so these days. They don't seem to be wanting to talk about it so much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but there aren't any new celebrities coming into Scientology. It is, um, it's pretty much a, a, a taboo subject now in the world of Hollywood. I think if any, you know, up and coming young actor or actress went to their agent and said, oh, I'm going into the Scientology Celebrity Center, their agent would say, you do that and you're going to be finding a new agent. I'm not having anything to do with that and it will kill your career. So there's not much in the way of new, new people coming in and certainly not new celebrities. Um, but, you know, over the years, Scientology has parlayed the participation of particularly Tom Cruise and John Travolta uh -huh. into credibility for themselves. You know, if these, if these enormously successful charismatic movie stars uh, say Scientology is good, then maybe I should go check it out too and I could become a big, enormously successful charismatic movie star. So, you know, that yes, you and a lot of other people kind of know Scientology through the, the headlines of Tom Cruise, the Scientologist, but the real story of Scientology is far beyond those headlines and is much darker. All right, cool. You know, do you think, uh, real quick, do you think because you guys have gotten the word out, you and Leah, you know, you've been doing this, you've been on the TV, you know, talking about this, doing different things, wrote the book. Do you think because you're getting the word out, there's more awareness of, of, of what Scientology actually is, so people are starting to stay away from it, at least the celebrities anyway? Oh, certainly, certainly. I think that it really started with a, a pretty groundbreaking series of articles that were published in the St. Petersburg Times by... Tom Tobin and Joe Childs called the Truth Rundown, and then many, many things after that, which then prompted or helped um, the story about Paul Haggis that was written by Larry Wright in the New Yorker, which then evolved into his book Going Clear: Scientology in the Prison of Belief, which then became the HBO documentary by Alex Gibney called Going Clear, and many, many other media that have since um, gotten over their fear of Scientology uh, because Scientology had generated an image for itself of this, this all-powerful monster that could, <coughs> excuse me, crush media outlets at the single swipe of its pen. Um, and even more so, I think, Charlotte, that the, the, the exposure in the information age through the internet uh -huh. has been the poison which is killing Scientology and any other organization that relies on 
keeping its membership inside a bubble of information. You know, there is nowadays so much stuff on the internet from podcasts to websites to, to just blogs to anything that if you Google Scientology these days, it's not a pretty picture. And, you know, when, when in this day and age, people don't go out and buy a toothbrush without Googling which one is the best one, it's very hard for Scientology to now sucker people into their organization by pretending that they are a benign, um, do-gooder, do-gooder society that is going to help them with their little problems and be very kind to them. So, yeah, I think that the aftermath, the show that Leah and I did, mm-hmm. had uh, a big impact, partly because it was week after week after week you know there's 37 episodes over three years and the stories that were told or the people that that brave people who came on that program it was impossible for scientology to do what they typically do um when something comes out that they don't like they say oh it's just that person's just a liar they're bitter they're being paid they've got ulterior motives they got this they got that when you see people who were clearly so um emotionally damaged and were so um honest in telling their stories week after week after week and Scientology responds saying, oh, that person's a liar. Oh, that person's a liar. Oh, that person's a liar. It was so thin that they destroyed their own credibility in seeking to respond to what people say about them. And now they have none. Now nobody pays any attention to anything they say about anything mm-hmm. if they are criticizing someone for exposing their abuses. Now, when you talk about abuses, what, what are we talking about exactly? We're talking about breaking up families. We're talking about bankrupting people. We're talking about uh, carrying out acts of fair game, you know, harassing and seeking to intimidate people to prevent them from speaking out or speaking up. Um, we're talking about uh, defrauding people, uh, promising them things that they are absolutely is not possible for Scientology to deliver to them, but taking their money and saying, we will do this, or we will provide this for you. Uh, when that doesn't happen, then they turn around and say, well, now you need to give us some more money because we need, you need to do this next thing because this next thing will actually get you where you are trying to go. So the, the abuses are pretty broad and, you know, that's a lot of what we talked about on the aftermath, those experiences of people being, being suckered into giving money, being abused by Scientology in some fashion, having their families broken up. Uh, those are the abuses that, that I want to see ended. Now you held some, some pretty high positions within Scientology, didn't you? I did. I was the international spokesperson for Scientology for a couple of decades. I was on the board of directors of the church of Scientology international from when it was formed until I escaped in 2007. I was the head of the, what's called the office of special affairs the department that deals with legal public relation and the destruction of the enemies of Scientology. So what was the turning point? I mean, obviously you had a front row seat for a lot of this stuff that was going on. So what was the final uh, turning point for you to get out? Well, it took a long time, Charlotte. I mean, there were many, many things that built up and built up and they didn't push me over the edge because 
you know, I believe that I had a loyalty to L. Ron Hubbard. I believe that my eternity was at stake. I believed and knew that I didn't want to lose contact with my family. But ultimately, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was began when I was in London in uh, dealing with a, a reporter from the BBC named John Sweeney. He uh, sort of doorstopped me in the in the Scientology building in London and asked me questions about whether David Miscavige had been physically abusing people, including had he been physically assaulting me. Mm -hmm. And he had, and routinely, and that's documented in great length in the book. And I said, absolutely not. That's a lie. That's just, uh, you know, we're going to sue you. I was like outrage, fake outrage about it because I knew that that was the thing that, you know, I had to prevent getting on the air. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that I had done a great job of pulling that off because in the ultimate episode that aired, that wasn't mentioned. There was no mention of David Miscavige physically assaulting mm -hmm. people, even though John Sweeney was convinced that this was an important aspect of his show. Mm -hmm. And when Miscavige heard about it, he was like, ah, oh, the show shouldn't have aired at all. If I'd been handling it, it never would have even seen the light of day. And then he got more upset and told me um, in a, in, anyway, he said, I'm never coming. I was in London at the time. I'm never coming back to the United States. I'm going to be sent off to uh, the farthest reaches of Western Australia and if I can't uh, make a go of it, I can always sell my body to make some money. And I went, okay, that's the end. There's nothing left here for me. I'm not going to get back to the U.S. Uh, I'm, you know, the fear that I would lose my wife and two children in the Sea Organization has just been made a reality. Um, and so that was ultimately the straw that broke the camel's back and I escaped the next day. Hmm. How hard, I mean, like, like when you say you escaped, how hard was it to walk away from that? Because 42 years is a long time to be, to, to be involved with something. Well, it was very hard. Like I said, I, you know, I'd been, I'd been considering this for years, but all these factors had weighed heavily on my mind. Um, but the opportunity presented itself, and I talk about this in the book about, like, I understood and knew how things worked and what may or may not happen. And so I seized an opportunity where someone, uh, like, made a mistake and didn't really monitor me closely enough. And I kind of got out with, uh, a briefcase and disappeared into the underground, the tube in London. Um, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have any real money. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a resume. I didn't have any, like everybody that I had known my entire life was a Scientologist. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it was sort of a scary proposition, but at that time it was less scary than continuing my, my, what I considered now was a, a terrible existence inside the highest echelon of Scientology organizations. So it was like, nothing could be worse than this. I'll, I'll risk it out in the, what's called WOG world, which is the Scientology term for the non-Scientology world. Now, as uh, like I said, you had, you held high positions with, with Scientology. Did you, were you having, you know, knowing what was going on within the organization, were you having any kind of second thoughts, you know, doing the PR stuff and recruiting people or anything like that? Um, not really. I was generally a pretty dedicated Scientologist that believed that I was a part of uh, a handful of heroes who were saving the world. Mm -hmm. You know, that was pretty much my mindset. I was a a dedicated Scientologist that bought the entire story of Scientology hook, line, and sinker. 
when you talk about physical abuse, um, obviously it just didn't happen to you. It was happening to others. Why would people be physical, uh, physically abused? Why? Yeah. Um, because David Miscavige could get away with it and he's sadistic and a sociopath and because it became almost a badge of honor in Scientology in the Sea Organization that we're tough, we're dedicated, we're, um, we will go where nobody else is willing to go, we will do things nobody else is willing to do because we are so dedicated to the cause of achieving the objectives of Scientology, which are portrayed as a very positive thing. This is achieving the objectives of Scientology means saving every man, woman, and child on earth from a, an eternity of blackness and agony and pain. So it was portrayed as very altruistic. I believed I was very altruistic. I believed that I was sacrificing myself and my physical well-being and happiness and sleep and food and all the other things that are foregone because of a, a much grander and greater purpose of what's to be accomplished or what we were seeking to accomplish. And, you know, when you think about it, a lot of religions out there, you know, have those kind of goals, but they don't take it to the extreme that Scientology did. Or some right. of them do, maybe, for all we know, you know, but it's just, it's just, I, 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 and I'm not saying I fail to understand how people can get sucked into this stuff, but I can because there's desperate people out there that, 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 that want some kind of guidance. And well, so it's easy to manipulate. I don't think that, that the vast majority of people that are in Scientology or in any cult for that matter are desperate or are particularly vulnerable. I think that generally, and you will find this to be true certainly in Scientology, that a lot of them are very smart. A lot of them uh, are attracted to Scientology by its promise. And its promise is that it will help you solve the problems in your life in the here and now. But more importantly, it will give you the tools or technology as Hubbard called it to help others. So this is a, a very common thing that you will find with Scientologists at least that they are Scientologists because they believe that they have tools that they can use to help people around them, their family members, the people that they work with, all sorts of others in the world. And, you know, they're not, there are a lot of very, very successful Scientologists, a lot of very, very smart people who are Scientologists. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, an organization that's full of dummies. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of experts on cults subsequent to leaving, and they all say the same thing, that yes, cults do prey on the vulnerable, but that isn't what the majority of the people in most cults are. They are not preyed on because they're vulnerable. They're preyed on because they're empathetic because they are good people looking to do good in the world. And they believe that they find something that will help them be better and do good. And that isn't the, the, the vulnerable. That tends to be the, those, like I said, who are empaths. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, as you were working for them and, and you know, doing all the PR stuff, did you, at any time, you know, you were there 40, 42 years, obviously. When did you start to notice that things weren't as it seemed? Um, I don't know. There were a lot of things that, that, like, like I said, when I first noticed it was when I first went to the Apollo mm -hmm. and, you know, joined L. Ron Hubbard aboard his right. ship. Right. And that was like the first inkling that 
things aren't exactly all what it seems, but there's always a justification and explanation for those uh -huh. things. Uh -huh. You know, I go through in, in, in pretty extensive detail in the book, all of the moments where stuff comes up that are like uh, those, oh my God, w what is this? And how it was explained, how I explained it to myself, how others explained it to me, how I looked around and saw people who I had known for a long time, who I respected, who were accepting what I thought was something that they shouldn't be accepting. So maybe there's something wrong with me. This is another thing that is inculcated in Scientology very, very early on and is a very fundamental principle of Scientology. It is that whatever bad may happen to you or whatever circumstance you find yourself in that is not how you would like it to be, you have to look within and find out what you did to cause that to be that way. What, and, and the Scientology shorthand parlance for this is, what did you do to pull it in? Mm -hmm. What did you do that caused you to now be receiving this bad thing? It's sort of karma on steroids. And in Scientology, it is a, a very, very pervasive and very, very black and white thing. If Charlotte, if I walk out of this room and walk into the street and a car runs me over, the Scientology response to that is to, for me to look and discover when I ran someone over with a car, because I was obviously craving the need to be run over by a car, because at some point in my past, I ran over someone with a car or a horse and buggy or some similar thing that required me to now receive this and this then gets into the area of scientology what's called auditing which is the con the confession or the you know the counseling procedure that scientology engages in that hubbard developed and the use of this device called an e-meter which is like a, a sort of like a lie detector, a simplified lie detector in Scientology. And the belief that you have lived numerous past lives and existences. Mm -hmm. And with the assistance of this e-meter thing, you can discover what those lives were and your experiences. And even if I haven't run over someone with a car in this lifetime, I may be able to locate where I had done that in a past lifetime. There is no such thing as a victim in Scientology. Victim is a terrible, terrible, bad word. Victim and sympathy are two terrible words in Scientology that are not, that are almost like curse words. If, if you're a victim, that just means that you're not being responsible for your own condition. If you're sympathetic, that just means you um, pour syrup on the poor downtrodden people and that leaves them more downtrodden and, and you know, wallowing in their, in their victimhood. So there is a lot, there is a lot. And, and you know, when I first wrote the book, Charlotte, I wrote... Uh, it was very dry. You know, I spent a lot of time in Scientology dealing with legal cases and it was written sort of like a legal brief. Here's the facts. This is what happened. And then I went on and this is the next thing that happened. And my editors said, mm -mm, no, you need to get inside your head. Like, what were you thinking? What was the thought processes, what, what were you going through at that moment and describe that because as you have said to us, Scientology is a mind prison. So we've got to hear about your mind. We got to know, you've got to try and describe this. And this is something that is, was for me very difficult. 
I mean, when you are raised in Scientology, emotion is a bad thing. Emotion is considered to be detrimental to your survival. You're supposed to be not have have what's called miss emotion. You're not supposed to cry about things. You're not supposed to be upset about things. You're supposed to be at cause and very, very even keeled and be um, able to deal with anything that comes your way. And that is the mindset that you you have particularly as a Sea Org member. So when my editors are saying to me, so what was you, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? I'm like, Oh God, I, I have no idea. I was emotionless. I was, and there's a number of incidents that I talk about in the book, like particularly a, a number of deaths that happened. And I describe how a good Scientologist was expected to respond to those things. And the sort of regret that I have of not being able to, to grieve over these incidents because that's not what's expected of a Scientologist and particularly not what's expected of a Sea Org member. How involved are they in a person's life? You know, once you get involved with the organization, do they control everything in your life? Well, there are different parts of of being involved in Scientology. There is what is called a parishioner, which is someone who participates in Scientology, but lives in their own house and has another job and, you know, just comes in, pays for their stuff and, and does it uh, on a part-time basis. Then there are people who are what's called staff members. There are Scientology organizations in a bunch of countries around the world. And those people man those organizations, but they too live in their own home or apartment or whatever and drive to and from their work, which their job is to be a Scientology staff member, you know, nine to five in theory, uh, five days a week. And then there's the Sea Org members and Sea Org members are the people who live and work in Scientology facilities. 24 7 365 days a year that's what i was sea org members lives obviously are very very controlled by scientology the organization basically dictates everything that you do everywhere you go every everything you eat every time what time you sleep etc etc staff members is sort of halfway between that and uh parishioner of scientology but I will say, Charlotte, Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, wrote about literally everything, anything from washing windows to curing cancer to, to how do you set up an organization to how do you deal, what do you feed babies, everything. He had an opinion about everything and wrote it all down. And this dictates the life of a Scientologist, because any good Scientologist is a fundamentalist and believes that the words of L. Ron Hubbard are to be followed exactly and precisely, and he has words about everything. So Scientologists live a, an interesting life, and, and I believe that a lot of Scientologists remain in Scientology because it's easy. On one hand, it's very hard. It's very hard because there are lots of rules and regulations. On the other hand, that's very easy because you don't have to make up your mind about anything. Everything that you are supposed to do, everything that you, that you, every decision that you confront in your life, there is an answer in Scientology from L. Ron Hubbard. So you don't have to think much. You just have to, to go along and as long as you go along, it's pretty easy. It's a pretty easy way to lead your life if you're not very secure about making your own decisions. So Scientology has, has enormous control over how people view things. You will find Scientologists 
in virtual lockstep on everything, every issue that there is that confronts the world or confronts them in their daily life, Scientologists will all react the same based on what does L. Ron Hubbard say. Now, do they control uh, who your friends are or no? Yes. Or who do you friends? Well, it, de it depends. To some extent, absolutely. You are not allowed as a Scientologist to be friends with someone who is an anti or opposed to or questioning Scientology. So this is where the breaking up of families comes in and the policy of disconnection in Scientology. It is a very rigid policy. It says that if the organization tells you that someone is a, an, an enemy of Scientology and an enemy for Scientology is defined as someone like me or someone who, uh, a reporter who has done an, a story that Scientology considers negative or a lawyer who has filed a lawsuit on behalf of someone, that if you uh, are a person like that, no Scientologist may be in communication with you at all. The, the, the penalty for being in communication with a, what Scientologists call suppressive person or enemy is that you will be expelled from Scientology and declared a suppressive person yourself. Wow. Okay. So that's how they keep control of everybody. It's, yes. It's, it's just, it, it boggles the mind that people would, especially as you say, educated people would fall for this and, and, and do it. Well, it, like I said, if you can dangle the hope and the promise that the very salvation of mankind rests in your hands, you are willing to put up with a lot and you are willing to ignore a lot of things. And this is not unique to Scientology. This is a, a uh, a thing that is used by high control organizations everywhere. And the promise of grand, wonderful things is the promise that is held out by every religion, but particularly by those uh, cults that want to actually control every aspect of people's lives. They're not, look, I've said many times now in the interviews that I've done, if everything in Scientology was just shit, nobody would be involved in it. Right. There is a lot of stuff that is promised and a lot of things that sound kind of like, oh yeah, that's cool. Or that's benign. Nobody could disagree with that. Oh, love and help your parents. Oh yeah, that's a perfect thing. Oh, until they're declared a suppressive person, but you don't hear that until you're further along in the indoctrination process. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is this carrot that is dangled um, and was dangled by Hubbard from the very, very first days where his first book was called Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health. And Dianetics is still considered to be the foundation, the fundamental, it's like the Book of Mormon for Scientology. It is the, the fundamental text on which all else is built. And in that book, Hubbard described this great discovery he claimed to have made of the reactive mind and how this subconscious mind controls your emotions and makes you ill and blah, blah, blah. And he promised in the book, and that book is still published this way to this day, that Dianetics could cure all manner of physical ailments from bursitis and arthritis to cancer. He promised that if you followed the steps that were laid out in Dianetics, you would have a per you would have perfect memory, perfect recall. You would have uh, you would never get a cold. You would be a what he called homo novus, a new man, and though that promise was never fulfilled by anyone, including Hubbard himself, that doesn't stop the promise from being dangled. And then when it's not achieved, 
he then came along and said but now there's something else i found i discovered something else through my research and this will now get you there hmm. and when that doesn't he discovered something else and then something else and that's sort of the story of scientology dianetics and scientology a lot of promises and never achieving those promises but always coming up with something new that will achieve them and even to this day though hubbard has been dead for you know nearly 35 years i guess there is still in scientology but there are more levels still to come hubbard left them for us and when uh we're suddenly ready somehow to make them available to the world they will finally deliver on what it is that he promised back in 1950 that you've been striving to achieve ever since mm -hmm. and you get people who have devoted 10 20 or 30 years of their lives and you know a hundred thousand a million 10 million or 50 million dollars to something like this they are very very reticent to walk away and say i wasted my life and my money on something that was a scam they are very very easily influenced to say mm -hmm. just take it's just one more step one more step and everything that you have devoted all this time and money to will be realized mm -hmm. so that's that's what drives a lot of scientology promises now you mentioned money let's talk about the money and you know because i mean all churches you know all religions either take donations or some of them even charge membership how did scientology get all this money i mean were they charging the members or how's that work scientology has a a thing that hubbard laid out called the bridge to total freedom which is a series of steps that one must follow in order to attain spiritual enlightenment each one of those steps has a price and as you progress you must pay the price the fee the cost of each one in order to progress up the bridge and they get more expensive as they go and while it may start with a hundred dollars pretty soon you're into the thousands and pretty soon uh, thereafter you're into the tens of thousands hmm. and most people that progress up the scientology bridge to total freedom in order to reach the top levels that are available to this day you know not the ones that are promised for the future mm -hmm. um are spending between you know two hundred and fifty thousand and a million dollars and that's for every single person that makes it there but then again there is other heavy pushes for people to give money outside of paying for those services and many people have given millions tens of millions even more than tens of millions to those other causes to protect scientology to uh expand the operations to uh do uh campaigns to help educate uh youth using hubbard technology um all sorts of things uh, Scientology is really, really, really good at taking people's money. Hmm. It's like I say, it, it boggles my mind to hear, you know, to, to hear about this stuff. Now, in your case, when you left, you had concern for your, you know, what was going to happen with your family. Were you able to get your family out of there or, or did you get separated from them? No, completely separated. In, in fact, as I say in the book, my, you know, once I left and had become persona non grata they were forced to disconnect from me and i became effectively dead to them my mother my my father was already deceased my brother my sister my nieces and nephews my children my wife everybody they were all they were done and 
the book is actually written for the two children that I left behind that were born into the C organization. Um, and, you know, the beginning of the book is addressed to them so that they might understand what my life was and at some point come to understand who I was because they were born into this very rigidly structured C organization and I was not really their parent, neither was their mother. We were, they were turned over to Sea Org members, nannies to raise from their very earliest years. And we saw them maybe, you know, maybe an hour a day, um, often didn't see them at all. Often were in different, different cities located in different locations than they were. And they were raised as Sea Organization members, not children and so those those two children benjamin and taryn are are the sort of regret of my life that as i say in the beginning of the book if i knew then what i know now they would never have been put in that position because they from infancy had no choice about what was going to happen to them and their life they had no free will and they still have no free will and they both remain in the sea organization to this day. When you talk about them, you know, separating you from your children, what happens to the kids? I mean, obviously the Scientology is, you know, putting that stuff in their head, but I'm, are they getting holidays or are they just, is it all work and no play or how's that work? Yeah, it's all work and no play. They're sea org members. They're, they're like, you know, the other thing, another concept in Scientology is that you are a spiritual being who has a mind and a body. Your spiritual self is senior to your mind and your body and that you have lived many, many lifetimes and that a child is an old spirit with a young body, an old spirit just like you or me. So a child is not a child in the typical sense that that you know wogs the non-scientology world thinks of children children uh have physical limitations but they are spiritual beings just like us and they they respond to the same things that we do and they should be expected to to live up to that as good Scientologists and good Sea Org members. So, yeah, their life was not a life um, typical of children. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, when you talk about this stuff, I mean, my, my mind swirls because, you know, I, I think of all the other religions and stuff. And, I mean, given enough leeway, a lot of these other religions could go that way too. And, and, and there are some. I mean, you look at the different cults. That have cropped up you know in the reports of them how has life been for you because like you say you have regrets about your children how has life been for you since getting away wonderful i have an entirely new life it's not been without its you know ups and downs or difficulties like i said you know i escaped in london and i didn't have anywhere to go i didn't have any resume i didn't have anything and Today, I have a new wife. I have a 10-year-old son who I adore and spend as much time as I can with him and take him to his soccer games and, you know, do his homework with him. And I have a 15-year-old stepson from my wife and I um, am sort of making up for lost time. I know it's uh, late in life, but it's doesn't make it less enjoyable. In fact, the, the very fact that I didn't have that um, with my other children makes this very much more fulfilling. And, and I am thankful every day for the life that I have today because it's, it's pretty wonderful. How long, I mean, after you got out, because still, I mean, obviously you left, you know, the straw, like we talked about the straw that broke the camel's back, but obviously, you know, being programmed like you were, how long did it take that programming to, to 
to go away? Um, well, I'm not sure that it totally has. Uh, it, for a while after I escaped the Sea Org, I still considered myself a Scientologist. I still considered that I followed in, you know, the writings of L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, that took a number of years before I had enough distance and I read a book by Russell Miller called Barefaced Messiah, which is a unauthorized biography of L. Ron Hubbard. And that really woke me up. And then it has been a slow process of talking to a lot of people, of introspecting into whether my thought processes are based on what I learned in Scientology or what I really think. And, you know, my wife is also a former Sea Org member. So we, you know, kind of stop one another and go, do we really believe that? Or is that what we were told that we were supposed to believe back mm -hmm. when we were growing up? Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, one of the hardest things to shed when you when you leave Scientology is the terminology. I mean, there is so much jargon in Scientology and so many abbreviations and so many uh, common English words that have a different meaning in Scientology that you speak almost a foreign language and shedding those things has been very hard. But I will say, Charlotte, that probably the greatest freedom that I have felt in life uh, is the idea that I can choose to do what I think is right. Mm -hmm. Not what I was told by someone else is right or wrong, but choose to live my life and treat people and speak uh, in a fashion that I think is the right thing to do. And that's sort of my mantra now is don't do what Ron says, which is the mantra of Scientology. Do what I think is the right thing to do. Now, do you think that they're st still watching you? Oh, of course. Yep. They watch me. They put out smear sites about me. They buy Google ads to show up if anybody searches me or searches my books they put out videos they put out fake books summarizing my book i mean they do all that sort of stuff to try and discredit me um I, it's sort of a badge of honor to be targeted by scientology at this point um it means i must be doing something right because if i wasn't getting under their skin they wouldn't be bothered with me at all so you know, but that it it comes with the territory. I know it comes with the territory. It's it's part and parcel of why I keep doing what I keep doing is because I want to end that. I want to end their ability to do that. I don't think a tax exempt organization should be spending tax free dollars or in other words, dollars that you pay in your taxes and everybody else who's listening to this pays in their taxes is subsidizing those sort of activities by Scientology. Buying Google ads to smear people, hiring private investigators to follow them, buying thousands of domain names. Who is Mike Rindo? Who is Leah Remini? Anybody, everybody, so that they can put up shit about us on websites that would appear to be our websites. All of that sort of stuff is being subsidized by your tax dollars. And I think that that needs to end. And if Scientology's tax exemption is ended, Scientology's ability to hide behind the First Amendment protections of the law will come to a rapid end. And most importantly, they will be required to be transparent about their finances. And as soon as that happens, the, the end of this organization is very close because right now they don't have to report to anyone about any, how much money they make or what they spend it on. If they lose their tax exempt status, they'll be just like everybody else and they will have to. And that will then expose one of the great lies of Scientology, 
which they tell their their internal people that give them all this money is that they are spending it for the benefit of the world at large and to save this planet and that is bullshit they are not what do you have to say to people to the younger people or anybody that's think that are thinking about joining scientology don't <laughs> simple as that Boom. don't do not because it may they they may tell you something that's enticing they may tell you something that sounds good they may tell you something that that seems to be um perfectly logical and normal mm-hmm. beware that only lasts for a while and then pretty soon you're going to start believing in in stuff that and and acting in a fashion that is not in your in your inherent nature absolutely what's next for you oh i don't know honestly i i don't know i i, I don't know we'll I, we'll go back to doing our podcast shortly uh, you know we're taking a break on that for a while because i was doing the book i don't i don't know maybe another tv show who knows absolutely how can people find you sir um they can go to my blog which is mikerindersblog.org I have a website, uh, MikeRinder.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm sort of pretty easy to find. Right, fair enough. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was fascinating. Your book's really good. And uh, I, I, I wish you all the best, sir. Thanks so much, Charlotte. Pleasure talking to you. All right. You have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, I learned a lot about Scientology, and I hope you did too. I'm just fascinated by it. I've been watching that TV series again because it just fascinates me to see what people will do, you know, when they get involved in organizations like this. All right. Shifting gears a little bit. Back to paranormal tomorrow night. We will be back on at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with medium Nancy Matz. That's going to be a casual Wednesday instead of a casual Friday this week. And she is going to be talking about alien abductions and, and, and things like that. And um, I have a couple, you know, tales to tell. In fact, something that recently happened to me within the month that I think might have been an abduction. All right. So I, I'll tell you that story tomorrow. And then Nancy's got a few things she wants to talk about along, along that topic. So, you know, typical typical day with Nancy. She'll have her stack of notes and away we go tomorrow. So anyway, um, be, you know, be ready for that. And that will be our usual time at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And I want to thank you guys for coming. I know it's early today, but uh, yeah, we're going to have a couple days like this this week. It's Friday. We're going to be doing a new show as well. Anyway, thank you. And uh, if you like the show, please do share it. And uh, if you're watching from Facebook again, please follow. You know, we've got 450 shows we've done, and they're all on different topics. I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. And I like mixing it up and and the stories like this that I love doing. You know, I, I do investigative reporting. Uh, freelancing and, and things like that and it's just what I do you know so you're gonna you're not only gonna get ghostly tales or alien tales you're gonna get stuff like this because this this is this is the meat and potatoes for me you know it's just what it's just what I do it's just in my blood but anyway if you're watching from YouTube and you like what you saw please hit that subscribe button and again let's share this thing let, you know let's share the show it doesn't even have to be this show you could be like perusing YouTube and see something else you like and share it. Share it with five people that you know, because it's a snowball effect. The more people you share with, the more word gets out. YouTube shows us no love. We, you know, the algorithms for YouTube just don't like us. I don't know what the problem is, but they don't like us. So, I mean, so the, the more help you can give to get this show out there in the world, the better. And I, and I appreciate each and every one of you guys that, that listen, that listen to this show. I really do. Also, um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, my gosh. Also, oh, yes, the community page on YouTube. Let's remember that. For you guys that are subscribers on YouTube, that community page is up and running. And check it out. Uh, if you go across the tabs, it'll, it'll go, you know, uh, video, blah, 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 blah. Across. It'll say community. Just click on that and go in. It's kind of like a Facebook page for YouTube where I can, st- I, I can put messages out there. Maybe something's wrong with the show. Maybe, you know, something goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. Uh, right now, like I said, there's a poll over there to see what you guys want to hear. And I've got three topics on there. Do you want to hear ghosts? Do you hear stories about ghosts? Do you want to hear stories about cryptids? Do you, you want to hear more about aliens and alien abductions and stuff like that? 
So if, if, if you're listening, you're on YouTube, go check out that page and uh, vote on the poll so, we, so I can get an idea and gauge more of what you, what you guys want to hear more of. All right. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And remember to share it. Share, 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 share. Get, get the word out. So I'm going to give you his information along with his book. And uh, maybe you guys might want to get the book, but uh, it's up to you. But uh, I'll give you his contact information so you can check him out. Okay? So here we go. Let me do that. Okay, websites is Scientology. And Fair Game is the podcast. And then you got MikeRindersBlog.org. And again, the book is A Billion Years by Mike Rinder. And you can get that at Amazon.com. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good evening, and uh, yeah, see ya.